Father, we ask for your blessing upon this short word and upon our time of prayer. Lord, be pleased with this as well, is worship unto you, dear God. Lord, you are pleased with the Son, and you spoke from heaven. This is my Son, who I am well pleased. Listen to him. You spoke from heaven twice. At least that's recorded in Scripture. But Lord, we know that you are well pleased with us, not that the voice comes from heaven, but that your presence is here. And we can rejoice that you are pleased with it. Lord, we're not perfect, and you know that more than we could ever understand. But here's the wonder of your great love, that you stoop down in divine condescension to make yourself known. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The text that we are going to be looking at through the weekend is uh, in um, is in Isaiah 61, but we're going to be reading it out of Luke chapter 4, and uh, that's the fulfillment of it, and that's when Jesus uh, proclaims himself the fulfillment of it. And uh, I just want to read to you the first four verses uh, we'll leave the preaching for the two verses out of Isaiah 61. Uh, we'll leave that there for the guys that will be speaking over the weekend. And um, last week I dealt with verse 3, and this week we're going to deal with verse 4. But the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Last week with verse 3, what we looked at and what we saw was how God wants to bring renewal to the church. And so that's what verse 3 is all about, that he is speaking to those who grieve in Zion. And those who grieve in Zion are the believers, those who were in right fellowship with God of that time, and they were grieving over the sin and the rebellion and, and all the heartache and misery that was going on in their nation because of their rebellion. So he was grieving. These people were grieving over them, and so he gave them this promise. He, he spoke to them these words that would bring comfort to them that there was going to be hope, that there was going to be refreshing, that he was going to do something in their life that would be wonderful and unique. And then he brings us to verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated, and will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Who is the they in, the, in that verse? He's speaking of they. So who's that they? Well, the they in that verse is those who grieve in Zion or grieve over Zion. So 
He is saying that those who have grieved and seen the reality of the sin in this country, and they have been, been affected by it, their hearts have been broken over it, has brought them to prayer and intercession and weeping for the nation. Those are the ones that are going to fulfill verse 4, which is the rebuilding of the cities that have been devastated and ruined. And so if we might really look at this, the ability to see the loss come to salvation is always the work of God. It's never the work of man. But our cooperation in that work, our part in that work, is that we are to be the, the ambassadors, the voice, the messengers in the wilderness that's proclaiming the acceptable year of the, of the Lord and warning them from a day of vengeance of our God if they reject the mercy of God. And so those that grieve in Zion are going to be the ones who will be used by God to touch a hurting, dying world. Those who are just dead in their religion will not be used for that because they're not in a condition to do it. Those who will be used are those who are in a right fellowship with God and they are walking with Him in such a way that God can begin to do something in them so that He can do something through them. So what did they grieve over? I touched on it last, last Wednesday. They grieve over, first of all, their own sin. People who cannot see their own sin but can see the sin of everybody else is a hypocrite. So before we can effectively show the sin to other people, we must see the reality of its motions in our life and have already dealt with it and are dealing with it in our own life. So that means if we want renewal in our own life, we must take the path of repentance. And in that path of repentance, there is also going to be the anointing and the power that God can speak through us and use us to touch hurting, dying souls. Because it's not that we go to them and we say, you dirty, rotten, filthy sinners... But you come to them in the reality that they are sinners just as you are, but you have been redeemed. They haven't. They're going to face the wrath of God. We will stand before him and find mercy. And so we come to them in the place of brokenness, in the place of seeing our own need of a Savior. And because we know we need a Savior, we know that they need him all the more because they don't have him. We have him. We have the joy now of belonging to him. We have the joy of being his very own. And as a result, he shows himself to us in such sweet and wonderful ways as this evening, right? Just in a time of worship that he draws near. And you know, it's wonderful when he comes in the roar, and it's also wonderful when he comes in the whisper. But the main thing is that he comes. And so they grieve over the sin of the people. Do we grieve over the sin of the people? And we have to be honest with that. Do we really grieve over the sin of America? We can grieve over the discomfort that we are having over the sin of America. We can grieve over the aspect of, of all the bad things that are happening, but not grieve over the people. You understand there's a big difference when we grieve over the people. Our hearts are breaking for those who are rushing to hell. Or we can just grieve because and say, well, so, it's so bad out there. Look at how terrible it is and never do anything about it. And so God wants us to be a people that grieve over the sin that is being committed by these people because their sins have caused ruin to their lives and to their families. And we don't see the seriousness of that. I mean, many of us did in the sins that we, we have lived in in the past, but, but do we really remember what it was for us to be at war with God? Do we remember what it was to be in that hostile condition and to know the misery and the loneliness of, that our sin caused. That's a very serious and important thing. Because before we can 
rebuild the ruined cities. We must have healing. He must bring the healing to us. He must do the work in us that we can be faithful ambassadors. I want to give a story to you here. Jess and I started a church in our city, Detroit. That would be 1980. And uh, just trying to reach people on the streets is all that we did. Just wanted to see them saved, and we moved some of them into our house. I won't go through all the story, but one day I, I, I used to have this old 54 Chevy one-ton pickup. And uh, I was getting some glass put in it, and uh, I dropped it off at a... At a uh, glass shop and walked down this was in Detroit so I was walking down the street to go to a restaurant that was nearby and there was a girl on the street and I went up to her and I started witnessing to her and she gave me this whole schmeal of how old she was with just looking at him going no that's this, this something's not right here and I asked her I says are you hungry and she said yes so I took her to the restaurant and gave her something to eat and I asked her where she was staying she says well I don't have anywhere to stay tonight and so I brought her home she spent the night with us but she was gone in the morning before we got up. She was gone. And uh, surprisingly, she didn't steal anything. And so about a week later, Jesse and I, and what we had done is we had bought this bar and converted to a church, and above the bar was an apartment. So we're in the apartment. We have these other converts that had come to Christ. We moved them into the apartments as well. And so uh, we're there sitting down to eat, and Colleen comes walking up the stairs. And so she sat down and ate with us and uh, spent the night again. But this time, Jessie decided she was going to call this girl's home. And she did a lot of volunteer work there. And she called and, and uh, asked, uh, are you missing any girls? Did any girls run away? And they said, yes, we had two just run away. And the description of the one fit Colleen perfectly. He says, well, she's here at our, our place. Would you come pick her up? So he picked her up. We thought she'd never talk to her and ended up that eventually um, we got legal guardianship of her. She was a pistol. Man, she was a tough one. You know, we sent her to Christian schools to try and get her that she'd get the best uh, environment. And Jesse, time and again, had to go to the school and because Colleen was throwing desks across the room and all kinds of other things, just this rage, this anger that was just intense. We believe there was a time where Colleen really came to Christ. But she never really strove to live it out, always on the fringe, always hanging with those who were not walking straight. And you just saw it, and we couldn't do anything about it. So here, we got her when she was 14. Now she's 18, 19 on her own. And um, it just, we ended up having to have her move out. And uh, so our relationship with her was in and out, up and down. She kept control of it. She would have the phone number and never give it to us. So she would call. If we were to talk to her, it would be her uh, pursuing. Sunday night, Jesse and I got a, an email that she had died. For over a month, her dead body was in the apartment. It seems that she died of a natural death whatever sickness or illness was in her, not from suicide or overdose or anything like that, all alone. 
because her anger and rage drove everybody from her. I mean, literally everybody. To live in this pain of loneliness and sorrow and to be the one who is inflicting it upon your own self, to be so trapped that you can't get out. The last time we saw her face to face was probably 19, uh, uh, 1997 or, or 98 at the Brownsville Revival. We were building a little house and so we wanted her to come to make, if she really got herself right with Jesus, if she really got on fire, got in the presence of God, and then she would really change. But what happened, she came there and she hated the revival. And she ended up leaving and we never saw her face to face again. A few phone calls and always lies. Lie upon lie upon lie upon lie. You know, when I heard her her death, it's, it broke my heart. It broke my heart more than my dad's death. My dad went to hell. Non-believer, hedonist, wanted nothing to do with God. But Colleen was, her, was in essence, our, our child. And to feel so helpless to try and do anything about her, so helpless to do anything in her condition, we knew the remedy. We tried to bring the remedy to her again and again, and she didn't hear. She refused to listen. She refused to repent. I don't know. I just hope maybe there was this aspect of some faith that was left in her before she died, and she cried out to Jesus. I have no idea, but all the evidence doesn't speak that. You see, what we need is to grieve over those who are perishing, over all the Colleen's that are out there, all of them, and there are thousands, millions of them out there, young people that are hurting so bad, they just want to die. Some try it, some succeed and kill themselves, but the misery and the pain of sin and what this world is giving them now is worse than what I had and worse than what Colleen had. She died at, 54, at 53. We were, I was only 14 years older than her. I mean, she wanted us to be her parents, and we're just on the streets trying to win the loss. We didn't even think of being a parent to her. We just thought she was one of the converts in our, in our house, all the other ones that we were discipling and trying to help walk with Jesus. But yet, how many people out there are in such pain and misery and sorrow, and we can go day after day and not see, not see the pain, not see what's going on there, oblivious to it because our hearts are not filled with compassion. Because we don't, we don't see. And you know, I'm speaking this to myself because how easy it is to just go along in our life and not see the agony. When I was passing in Wisconsin, I got a call from a funeral home. They wanted to know if I'd do a funeral. I went to that funeral and nobody showed up. Nobody. Can you understand the misery, the agony of loneliness? The sin that brings people to be so alone that nobody wants anything to do with them. Do our, does our heart grieve over those who are perishing? Does our heart grieve over the misery? Does it grieve over those who are weeping in their pillows at night? Does it grieve? And it's so easy not to. It's so easy to just go on in our life. It's just so easy to, not, to be oblivious to it. But yet God is calling us to grieve over Zion. He's calling us to grieve over our nation, over the sin, over the lawlessness, over the rebellion, over the perversion and all the stuff out there. The people that are suffering 
loneliness that is just, just eating them out from the inside, and they don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to respond. And all the wickedness that has brought people to the place of such utter hopelessness as Colleen is not too powerful for God to break through. And that's why we need compassion. And that's why we need to cry out for the anointing and the power and the Holy Spirit to flow that we might rescue some people that are in such abject misery, trapped, utterly, completely trapped, and they don't know how to get out. We can only touch a few of them because so many don't want what the truth is. They would rather be in the misery of their pain and, and loneliness and addictions. But there are some that do want it, and they don't even know it yet. We need to be a people that are filled with compassion. Filled with compassion. Three things that they were to do, those who grieve in Zion, they were to rebuild the ancient ruins. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew here, that word build has to do with to build by obtaining children. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, you are going to rebuild by restoring families. Now, if you have been divorced, you know the misery of divorce. There is never a nice divorce. There's never a divorce that is the will of God. There's never a divorce that, that is not, not just destroying the people because of sin. And what is the anointing of God to do in our life? It is to rebuild these families that have been devastated because of their rebellion and their addictions and the insanity of their lives and all this going on and how we can just miss it all. Miss it. To restore the places long devastated, to, which means in the Hebrew, and these are three different words of, of build, three different Hebrew words that are being mentioned here. This is to raise up, to stir, or to strengthen, to rebuild that which is just toppling, it's crumbling. Everything, you look at the life, is just crumbling to pieces and the devastation of their sin. And what are we called to do? Filled with compassion to go to them, to try and help build their life if they would but let us be a part. If they won't, there's nothing we can do. But there's some. And to renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And this is just a simple word, just to build, renew, or repair. And so repeating, this is a biblical principle here. When something is repeated, it is to give emphasis to it. So when you see a thought repeated, it is like you just turn the volume up. To repeat it three times is to have this megaphone, this volume that is ear-splitting, just screaming out, here is the reality. Here's what I will do with those who grieve in Zion. I will rebuild ruined lives, ruined marriages, ruined cities. I will bring life where there is only death and bring hope where there's only hopelessness. What ruined the cities? Sin. And when you look at it in the setting, it would be the destruction of Jerusalem and the cities of Israel. And they were destroyed by what? An invading army. An enemy came in and took them captive. And those they didn't take captive, they killed. That's the picture of what's being presented here and the only remedy is that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord would be upon us. The only remedy. There is no other answer. Self-help type of things will not help them. Community service will not help them. It's only the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord working through His people because they're filled with compassion and they will go to them because of that. 
And the more we get involved in the lives of people, the more we will see the pain that's there and the more it can awaken us compassion. You will never get compassion sitting in a lazy boy recliner. You will get compassion by going to the bruised and the broken and the hurting. And you can go say, oh, that's not my calling. Can you show me a verse that it's not? Because the Word of God says something totally different. Because we are to go into all the nations. And it wasn't to go to the nice people. It was to go to those who did not know the Savior and bring to them the good news that there's somebody that loves them enough to rescue them. We're going to go to prayer. And we're going to do it similar as what we did last week. We'll have a time of prayer, just audible prayer. And then at the end of it, a couple of people will lead in prayer. But here's what I think I want to start with. We have a desperate need of compassion. And we need to start with ourselves here. We'll go just to the loss in a couple of minutes. But we need to start right here. God, I don't have compassion. I don't know how to get compassion. I cannot muster it up. I can't force it into existence. So God, I come to you and I plead with you, be merciful to me that I might have compassion. Take the little bit that I have and awaken it and stir it and make it powerful, make it grow. I need compassion. And so let's everybody stand.